0: Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of the Heat Assist Podcast. I'm David Wong, and today I'm joined by... Hey,
1: guys, I'm Steven. Hey, guys, I'm Carson.
0: And today we want to talk about the upcoming NBA season that's coming back in Orlando in July and what this will mean for the Miami Heat. Uh, Just a, a quick recap of what's going to happen is 22 teams are returning, and the NBA will play eight regular season games and have a little tournament between the eight and nine seed if the ninth seed is four games behind the eighth seed if the ninth seed win game one they'll play again and then they have to beat the eighth seed again so the ninth seed had to win two times in order to be uh make it into the playoffs but there is 18 playoffs and it will be for by conference so that means the heat will not be playing Oklahoma City, Funder, or the Western Conference team until the finals, if they get there. But what's interesting about regular season with the eight-game schedule is uh, I mentioned previously in a, in a previous podcast that the Heat had one of the easiest schedules left. Now they have eight games remaining against, quote-unquote, playoff contender teams. The easiest team the Heat were facing, such as in their remaining schedule, such as the New York Knicks two times, uh, Chicago Bulls twice, Detroit Pistons twice in another game against Charlie Hornets. Those are all gone. They're now facing, you know, really the easiest team I think the Heat could potentially face are the Phoenix Suns. So it's definitely a lot harder schedule and it, it could potentially mean the Heat could potentially drop down from the fourth seed. And I only say that because... The Heat were really struggling before the season was abruptly canceled. You know, their last game, they lost to the Charlotte Hornets. In that week, they lost to the Minnesota T- Timberwolves. They lost to the Atlanta Hawks. They lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So maybe not facing all these really sorry teams, the Heat, because the Heat tend to play up to the competition. So maybe it's not a factor, but. It's definitely be interesting to see how that play out. But uh, I guess the good news for that is the Heat should have all their injured players back. Tyler Hero and Myers Leonard are assumed to be good to go when the season starts in July. Do you guys have anything else about that?
1: I wanted to add that as much as the Heat will improve with the the health of Tyler Hero and Myers Leonard being better, Mm -hmm. uh, one of their main competitors, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, they should be getting Ben Simmons back as well. And so that's one of the key things that I've been wondering is how many other teams out there are going to be better because their teams are going to be much uh, healthier than before, and especially in the Eastern Conference. The first guy that I thought of was Ben Simmons and the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. And it'll be interesting to see because they've been kind of on a – not the best season for whatever reason they had – a, a great home record, but they were really struggling on away games, and then Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons started getting uh, injuries, whereas Joel Embiid was like sm- small injuries that prevented him from playing a few games. Mm-hmm. Ben Simmons' injury was a little bit more serious, an injury involving his back. You know, I'm kind of curious to see where they're going to be when they start you know, the season again. Didn't seem like they had their chemistry going at that point, and then the injuries happened, and now we'll see how they're going to have to mesh all together again after such a long layoff. I'm just curious to know what you guys think. Like the first thing that I thought of that might be much better would be the the 76ers, but who do you guys feel like would have improved given that this time off might have allowed, allowed their teams to get healthier and stronger?
2: You're talking about in the East or you're talking about just the whole NBA in general? Uh, in general... Oh, if anything, I think the Lakers benefited a lot from this because their team is pretty old.
0: Yeah, I, well,
2: I would think the 76
0: The 76ers just because you have two known players that were out, potentially even for the playoffs. But now there's, especially Ben Simmons, he's most likely gonna make the playoffs, and I think that affects the Heat because they could potentially be the first round matchup between the yeah. for the Heat. Because they are really close in the standings as well.
2: For recovery from injuries, yes. But I still stand on the on the fact that I still prefer the Heat a little over the 76ers, mainly because, like, I, I don't know how. I, I feel like the I feel like the 76ers they're not they were only they were that team was built just to match up with the Bucks. I don't think that that team was matched up well. They're not going to match up well against the Heat, because if a team just starts playing zone defense. I feel like it's just gonna it's gonna stop the 76ers from being able to do as much as the, what they want to do, especially with Joel and Bead in the, in the block. So, mm-hmm. I don't agree with the fact that the the 76ers are going to are better than the Heat.
1: You mean from our previous episode where we made the predictions? Yeah. Yeah, uh the only reason I said those things was uh I I just think the 76ers have more experience. The Heat are very new. I think they're and stopping Joe Embiid will be hard. Assuming Ben Simmons is healthy, I still give the edge to the 76ers. But uh, you guys can catch the, I guess, our full discussion of the matchups in our previous episodes.
2: I just want to ask you this, though. Do you still do you still trust that that team, even with no shooters? They don't have reliable shooters.
1: Yeah, it's pretty much the same argument we had from the previous episode. You know, the, the team hasn't really changed. You know, we're just kind of warning to see if Ben Simmons is going to get healthy. Because then that really makes a difference. If he's not playing, then obviously the Heat are going to be favorable. But
0: I mean, it's hard for me to see who who, who wins, and I think they're pretty evenly matched. Both the Heat and the 76ers both have home court advantage or great home court records, but that doesn't even matter anymore.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. There's no <laughs> home court advantage. Right. Uh, it's like people are trying to people on ESPN and some of the shows are trying to figure out an incentive for. Teams with the higher seats to give them some sort of an advantage for you know playing harder during the regular season. Mm-hmm. And there, some of them were saying like bringing out the uh, uh, the floor, the basketball floor panels under their you know the team's home, court <laughs> so that they have something, or maybe even bring the announcer from that city wow. to, for that team. But I don't, I don't think any of that stuff matters. But that's <laughs> what? what? Uh, they're just throwing ideas to make it more uh you know make it so like there's some sort of home advantage you know like there's something worth to play as far as the seating goes right <laughs> obviously it doesn't matter like you know i guess the number one seed against the eighth seed, but when you get deeper into the playoffs like in the eastern conference finals you know you should give uh, a little edge to the team that had the better home uh, better season uh season record but that's all that won't matter anymore because everyone's playing the same court. So they're even talking about giving the higher seat, like the, the, the preference of hotels they get to stay in. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I think it's interesting Cause they still got to figure all those little details out, right. right. Who gets the better yeah. hotels. So uh, I guess first deal to the practice facility. Um, I don't know how they're going to figure all this stuff out. Although yeah. this,
2: the, the format that the, that the NBA are going to go with, because everybody's since everybody's playing in Orlando I feel like this is the best outcome to determine which team is really the best because now every team is gonna have is playing on an equal playing field
1: Mm
0: -hmm. right and you assume everybody's fully healthy fully rested
2: yeah yeah I kind of like this more than the uh regular NBA season to (laughs) be honest to be honest, well, let's just but, see
0: what happens first. <laughs> like, if,
2: if what if what happens if both teams just play on a neutral place? It's kind of, it's kind of like uh, the Super Bowl or like like NCAA championship game.
0: But their fans could still go to those games, yeah. though.
2: But I mean, if if we go by that, then the Heat might have an advantage because <laughs> all those Orlando Magic games, when I went to them and when I went to those games and saw them play against the Heat, that whole place was just filled with Heat fans. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they would make the drive up there if they obviously if they allow fans to watch it.
0: Yeah. Any other points before we get to the last dance episode?
1: I'm excited. Like Carson said, it's gonna be an interesting season. Uh, the different format, the conditions, and I'm just more interested to see how I mean how ownership and Adam Silver are gonna be able to figure all the details out. There's a there's a lot of little details that I think are gonna matter in the end.
0: And I hope yeah.
1: they really keep things locked down because if any of the star players get sick from the coronavirus, that's it kind of puts a damper in, into who wins a championship, right?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Oh,
1: yeah. If Ron or Giannis gets, gets taken out because they have the virus during the finals, I mean, no one's going to appreciate that, the title. At least I, I wouldn't, right? I just kind of feel like it's, it's all gone in, down the hole we'll see what happens very intrigued to see how everything's going to yeah. be dealt with
0: so then where we left off in the last is we're going to go over episode seven and eight and just episode seven just dealt with michael jordan's dad getting murdered and then how he dealt with that and how that led him to playing baseball and eventually coming back was there a certain point you guys want to talk about uh, for episode seven
1: To me, I think the best moment in the entire series came at the end of that episode. Uh, The director asked a very specific question to Jordan, and it went along the lines of, you know, was it worth being so uh, mean towards your teammates? Was it worth it (laughs) uh, tarnishing his nice guy image? Because... As we discussed in our previous episode, Jordan at that point had, his, you know, was already, people knew that he wasn't the best teammate given the Jordan Rules book. And just in general, how, you know, there were words of how he was very tyrannical, very hard on his teammates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the story where he punched Steve Kerr in the, in, in the face because they were getting at it during practice. Um but well, the director wanted to hear from Michael Jordan's uh, perspective, right? Like, what did he think about this perception of the public that he wasn't a nice guy anymore? And his answer was very emotional and something that really I didn't expect it because, you know, overall, we don't really get to hear much from him after he retired. Mm-hmm. All we know about him was his commercials, his what he would say during the postgame conferences, pre-game conferences, how his interviews with Ahmad Rashad, but you know he never really went in deep into how he felt or his mentality was. And we all knew he was, you know, the greatest winner, greatest winner in modern NBA era, right? Greatest player in the NBA, the GOAT, sure. greatest of all. And sure. to hear him break down at the end of the interview after that question, Explaining himself that like that's what it took him to win. That's how he played the game. And that that was his mentality to bring his teammates to his level. You know, either, you know, you either come with me and take, you know, take it so that you get to my level or you get out. And for him to feel emotional about it and almost go into tears. I think it was very telling that it was it was so tough for him, right? We have this perception that he's this unbreakable uh personality you know he's hyper competitive uh he's never shown any emotions um uh-huh. but to see him being vulnerable and breaking down it's uh it was telling that it was, it was really tough for him it was really yeah. tough and that uh he he really took his competitive to the utmost level to reach to win right he did all that he took anything that it took to win and that included being the bad guy in his team to get him to play harder Get him to be ready for the playoffs, to be able to take a beating from, you know, the Knicks, the, uh, the Pacers, right? Just like he had taken a beating from the Pistons early in his career. He wanted those teammates to be ready because he knew what it took to win. And he wasn't going to let them just, you know, go along for the ride and let Michael Jordan take him to the championship. He knew that he's going to need every single one of them and that they had to step up and he had to get them ready. And that's the only way he was going to play the game. If he gave himself 100%, uh, which included him tearing a hole until every player that he felt wasn't up to par. I just thought it was a, a very, very uh, strong moment for the the whole documentary.
0: For sure. And they even throughout the documentary, they had his former teammates saying that, yeah, he was an asshole. He was a jerk. He crossed the line multiple times. And one of his teammates said people were afraid of him, we, his teammates, we were afraid of him. I mean, that just showed how far he took it. But at the end, all his teammates, every one of those teammates that said he was an asshole, that he crossed the line, they said it definitely prepared him for their championship run to go on the winning streak against these tough opponents like you mentioned, Steven the Knicks and the Pacers. I think in the end, his teammates, even though they didn't like him, they they realized that they did need him to to treat them like that, to get them through... I, mean, I think that was the whole basis for fighting with Steve Kerr because when Michael Jordan came back from retirement, Steve Kerr and, uh, and even Luke Longley, they haven't played with Michael Jordan yet. And so Michael Jordan didn't see them as fit to make it far you know, into the playoffs, into a championship.
2: I agree.
1: It was his way of getting to know them to see if they were fit to mm-hmm. you know, be his teammate. If you guys want to go for a championship, you guys got to be ready. You got to be, you know, physically tough and mentally tough. And I'm gonna, he was gonna call you out, ridicule you, bust you up, and he wanted to know if you were gonna fight back or you're just gonna crumble under pressure. And Steve Kerr passed the test, apparently. Yeah, he fought back.
0: (laughs) Another main theme of this episode was just. Michael Jordan not having his best friend, his dad, by his side. And now he had to deal with that. And and he also talking about how the media just whip up all these stories about blaming Michael Jordan for his father's death. And how that was just, it took a real emotional toll on him and it forced him to go into baseball. It must have been great for Mike Jordan because in the documentary, it was showing him really enjoying baseball, really, really felt like he was one of the players. He was—he didn't feel like Michael Jordan. He felt like a baseball player. You see him playing ping pongs with his with his minor league teammates and just enjoying himself before the baseball lockout of 1994. He really enjoyed his time playing minor league baseball. It was a touching moment, too. And uh,
1: yeah, I, I think it really made him appreciate the fact that, you know, he was away from all the limelight. And yeah, you know, he pretty sure like he was already burned out for the first time i think that's part of the reason why he was done i think uh he mentioned how him and his dad would talk about playing one last season and then going to baseball mm-hmm. you know partially because that was the first love and it was a sport that his dad taught jordan to play and you know they wanted to take on this challenge together until unfortunately his dad passed away and obviously, his motivation to play ball without him wasn't there anymore, especially after winning his first three uh, which was his original goal. He wanted to have one more in repetition over Bird and Magic, you know, the mm-hmm. only one, two in a row, I think. Right. And so his original goal was to win three. Uh, he was tired of, you know, just being the guy, having so much tension, just being burned now, you know, taking so much out of his body, out of his uh, mind, it fell down to him just having to walk away to have some sort of relief, I guess. And, and and it goes to, to show that he really appreciated the moments where he, you know, he got to be one of just one of the guys and being playing the minor, minor league in baseball. And you could really tell like he enjoyed himself. I think uh, one of his books where he was talking about his first retirement, he, he really enjoyed just being one of the guys, even, Taking the bus, long distances, <laughs> right. you know, not having a private jet, like he enjoyed it all.
0: I think one other important moment in this, uh, in episode seven, was they're showing the Chicago Bulls now without Michael Jordan, being led by Scottie Pippen, uh, playing the New York Knicks in the second round of the playoffs, and they were down two all. It was game three, and the game was tied, and they needed a last-second shot. And Phil Jackson drew up a play for Tony Kukoc instead of Scottie Pippen. And it pissed off Scottie Pippen so much that he refused to go onto the court for that last play, which Tony Kukoc made That's and crazy. won them the game.
1: That's crazy. Can you imagine your star player refuses to go on the court because he didn't get the ball? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine how pissed off of Jackson must have been. And I think <laughs> I first something that at that moment uh, – when Phil Jackson went up to Scottie Pippen and said, are you in or you're out? And Scottie Pippen said, you're out. And, yeah. you know, he called some other player to take his spot, and he said, like, F him. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and you know, what's crazy about it, too, is that – and kind of put more salt into the wound for Scottie Pippen was that Tony Kukoc got the ball, shot, shot it up, and it went in, and the Bulls won the game. So it was definitely the right call. Yeah. And uh, it was – <laughs> Definitely didn't give Scottie Pippen a good look, not at all.
0: Yeah, I think it also highlights how important having good leadership in the locker room is because it was uh Bill Cartwright who he didn't play t- that much, and I think he was like a second or third string center on the team. But you know, he called out Scottie Pippen, like he started, he, he was he got real emotional and said Scottie Pippen led his team down, he quit on them, and you know. He yeah. got Scott Pippen to apologize and just realize what a, mistake he, what a big mistake he made.
2: I mean, I, I can't blame Scottie Pippen for being angry, though. I mean, I can understand mm-hmm. if you're, you're supposed to be the main guy and the coach doesn't want you to take the last shot, he wants uh, Tony Kukoc to do it. I mean, even, even though Tony Kukoc has been making those uh, game winners before, he's still a rookie. Like how, I mean, I can understand his, feeling, his frustration. It's just a frustrated call. That's all. That's all it was, for Scotty Pippen. It, I think that's it's all it
1: was for Scotty to be upset, but still get on the floor. Yeah. But then completely not just abandoning your teammates and refuse to go because you know you you didn't get this call made for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just yeah. I I think it's very childish. You know, it's a lot. These guys were depending on him, especially as being the leader of the locker room. And to add on to um, to David's explanation, like Bill Cartwright, he made a very emotional speech. And part of the reason is because he was, uh, he's like, he's, he is one of the OGs of the team, right? He was part of the original 3 peat And I think that was one of his last years, I think, with the, uh, as a player. Well, you know, he, he was there with Pippin, you know, play uh, a lot of the years where Pippin was a young guy and saw him ascend to being a star player and obviously held him with a lot of uh, high regards for him, respect, right? And for he was imploring him on the bench for him to reconsider what, you know, what he was doing. Like, you, you could see it in the documentary and, and the footage. Like, the car was, like, on Scottie Pippen's ears, like, you you know, you got to get in there. You got to get in there. Like, what are you doing? Like, he's just on his ear, and he still wouldn't go. And trying to explain the severity of the moment and the, the what, you know, what his decision would be on his... Like I mean, I'm guessing that's what he was trying to tell him. But for him to still not go on the court and not see that your ego is getting in the way, that's putting your ego ahead of the team, I think it really, you know, it really hurt him. And to Scotty's point, I guess he according to Steve Kerr, he did apologize and he made the speech about he let the he thought he was bigger than the game and he apologized to the team. And they went on to They took the Knicks to seven games, actually, which is very impressive.
0: I think down 2-0, yeah. Yeah.
2: I just want to bring this up. You know how? what's even more impressive when that Phil Jackson uh, trusted Tony Kukoc to make that shot? During that game, Tony Kukoc was 1-for-6 from field goal (laughs) before he took that shot. He was 2-for-6 at the end of the game. So I got to give it to Phil. If he... if he trusted uh, Tony Kukoc to make that shot.
0: I mean, to, Tony. They show it in the documentary. Tony Kukoc. Yeah, that wasn't. He'd been making game-winning shots throughout that season, so it wasn't like out of nowhere. And he was. Phil Jackson mentioned in practice they do practice like last-second shots for Tony Kukoc, and he always make it. And it's just he was the guy to take the last shot because he 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 proved it. Even though he was a rookie, he still proved it.
2: I understand that point, but I'm just saying if you if if I was a coach and I and I knew one of my players was pretty much cold, he's one for six, <laughs> I would think mm-hmm. twice about drawing a play for him. But I, I mean, I give it to uh, Phil Jackson; he did the right thing.
0: Yeah, tough decision, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think what's crazy also about this episode was how Michael Jordan just—it seemed like he just nonchalantly went went back, returned to basketball. Right? They they had a baseball strike; he couldn't do anything. He had nothing to do. Yeah. So he just called up B.J. Armstrong and just like, "Hey, what you're doing?" And then B.J. Armstrong invited him to practice, <laughs> and that's how his comeback started. That was that was pretty Great ridiculous. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know what's crazy? What if baseball didn't have that strike? He might have never went back to basketball. He might have just mm-hmm. stayed with baseball.
0: Yeah, I think so, because his minor league manager, uh, Terry Francona, who actually went on to win the World Series uh, a few years back, but he even said if Michael Jordan kept at it, he would have made made it to the majors. So, uh, yeah, I definitely could see Michael Jordan just possibly retiring playing baseball.
1: <laughs> That's such a weird thought, right? Yeah. I mean, literally, the whole course of basketball history, professional basketball history, changes because there was a strike. And then one of his ex-teammates just casually invited him to practice to see, you know, have some kicks and laughs. And you know they're on to the second three The decision of one guy changed the whole course of the NBA history. At, At least that's how I see it. It's just, you know, these moments happen and it just changes everything. To emphasize on that, uh Penny Hardaway saying in a recent interview, when Jordan first retired, he really felt that the like the NBA was his to take.
0: <laughs> I can see and
1: that. you know, with Shaq and the Magic, and then all of that came crashing down, you know, when you know the Bulls came back. And that could have probably just been like a, a small stop, right? Obviously, they had other issues where Shaq got traded to the Lakers in a very bad breakup, but and then he got injured. Obviously, Penny got some really bad injuries. You know, like Jordan just coming in and kind of put a damp into, damper into a lot of players' hopes and dreams to win a championship. Carson said it's just uh, the magnitude of his decision just because baseball didn't, uh, baseball took a break. Mm-hmm. Let him to come back was kind of crazy.
0: And what well, to add more to your Magic story, it, it was, you know, Michael Jordan actually came back in the middle of the season and make it to the playoffs. And they, gosh, they lost to the Orlando Magic, Penny Hardaway. Nick Anderson and uh, Shaquille yeah. O'Neal was able to defeat Michael Jordan in the Chicago Bulls. He, he took it very personally, Michael Jordan, that loss. I guess that leads into the next episode, episode 8, where he took that loss really hard and trained that summer because he wasn't in basketball shape uh, for, that, for the playoff series. And But it was also during that offseason that he was filming Space Jam, after we were fit, done shooting films, he invited players to come play Michael Jordan at the studio because they built a, a basketball stadium for him. Because he still wanted to not, he still wanted to improve his shot, improve his skills, and work out. And it was it was, it was crazy seeing all these all stars coming to the Space Jam studio to go play basketball with Michael Jordan.
1: I think that was the dumbest decision all these players ever made. <laughs> Chad, like- Probably the worst pressing you would want to get is try to get to their peak physical shape, right? Like those guys going to come over come in to take over the entire league, and you're helping him do that. It's like, geez, man.
2: Yeah, you got you saw like Reggie Miller playing there, you know, Patrick mm-hmm. Ewing. It was also Jawan Howard.
0: John Howard, yeah. I mean, I think what's crazy was Reggie Miller were saying that you know Mike Jordan would be shooting film from morning to like late afternoon, and then they'll be playing for like two or three hours into the night. And then Michael Jordan would go work out, but then he has he has like more he has to wake up like at five in the morning to do more shooting. Like he's like yeah. that guy never slept, he just kept working. <laughs> That's
2: crazy yeah. if he was able it's that he did that throughout the whole shooting of that movie. That's mm-hmm. crazy.
1: That's one of the uh qualities that really I think make Jordan stand out. Like even during the Dream Team documentary, like uh Magic and all the other players who were talk about how how much energy jordan always had like he'd never go to sleep he may be like sleep for four or five hours and then hey you want to go play golf hey, you want to play cards uh, let's go to practice let's go play basketball it's like oh you want to play cards let's go play golf you know it's like he never stopped and that energy just you know it as part of his character he's just be able to do so much and not getting tired i guess
2: i don't want to get too a little too off topic but like there was also a documentary on the uh on the dream team, and it said the same exact thing, which I thought was crazy. This was before the Last Dance uh, mm-hmm. documentary. All just it, it just explained pretty much what you said, Stephen. All he did was play golf, practice basketball, and play cards. It was like those three things, and that was it. <laughs> he did that pretty much every day.
0: So episode eight, it really led to just how, like, how does he does? How does Mike Jordan put himself through this? And one of the explanation they went through is. Because Michael Jordan would find ways to motivate himself. And one of the examples they brought up was during the season uh, when Michael Jordan came back. They were playing the Washington Bullets. And uh, the Bullets player, LeBratford Smith, he went off against the Chicago Bulls. Even Michael Jordan couldn't stop him. LeBratford Smith went off with 37 points. But he still lost to the Bulls. And then they were mentioning how LeBratford Smith said to Mike Jordan, Nice game, Mike. And Michael Jordan took that very personally. In that, in the next game, they actually played the Wizards, like uh, the Bullets, again, and Michael Jordan went off, and he held Le- uh, LeBraffer Smith. LeBraffer Smith did not score in double digits. After the end of all that, it was revealed that Michael Jordan made up the whole narrative. <laughs> LeBraffer <laughs> Smith never said, nice game, Mike, to Michael Jordan. He made that up <laughs> just to motivate himself.
1: <laughs> and, and, and to add to his uh, to the game that Jordan had, so it was a back-to-back game, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, the very next game was literally the next day.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, they flew from Chicago to Washington. And uh, what Jordan did was score 36 points in the first half. So he oh, scored yeah. pretty much what Bradford Smith scored in the whole game. He scored it in the first half. Mm-hmm. And just because he made this idea that <laughs> Bradford Smith was trying to coax him that, you know, with the nice game, Mike, which was completely made up. <laughs> kind of
0: <Yeah>. crazy. <laughs> the whole theme of this episode eight was saying, "Don't piss off Michael Jordan," because the episode started with the Chicago Bulls facing the Charlotte Hornets in the playoffs, and it was game two where their former teammate B.J. Armstrong went off against the Chicago Bulls, and he was taunting the Bulls all throughout that game, and he led the Hornets to the first to the victory to game two win, and Michael Jordan. Was pissed about that. So the next game he held he wanted to guard BJ Armstrong and he wanted BJ Armstrong to guard him. And he Michael Jordan went off and he held BJ Armstrong to under 10 points. Like it's just the same narrative again. As with Brapper Smith. You piss him off. He's gonna want to go at you and just Michael Jordan's gonna go off. The story is do not piss Michael Jordan off.
1: It's not just Basketball right to add on to one of the stories that was also introduced in the documentary was how uh, this went on the um, Forgot which year the first the 72 10 season where the Bulls played the Sonics Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, It was Jordan and and One of his friends were having dinner and George Carl came into the same restaurant and obviously Jordan and George Carl know each other George Carl is the head coach for the Sonics at the time and so and they have a history together because they're both from unc Uh they, they went to the same college but when george carl uh passed by jordan he didn't say anything kind of just brushed him off like he did it wasn't there and it's because obviously they're in the finals but that's all jordan needed to kind of take it personally and demolish the sonics right those first few games really like you you know, Jordan said, like, he was really fueled to prove to the point, like, you don't, you know, you don't do that to me. Yeah. And every little reaction that you give Jordan, you have to really think hard what you're doing. Yeah. might come back and bite you in the butt.
0: Yeah. And just one more example of that is when Michael Jordan came back out of retirement, he wore number 45 instead of 23. And when they lost to the Magic in the playoffs, Mick Anderson, of all people, said, to the media, after when the when the Orlando Magic wins is forty five isn't twenty three and pissed Michael Jordan off. Horace Grant, who was telling that story, was like, "You just he was just like, come on, man, why would you why would you say that?" And it just, and then Michael Jordan changed back to twenty three, even though they still lost to the Magic. That insult fueled him throughout the off season, and it led to that season you're talking about, Steven, the seventy two and ten season.
2: They swept Orlando,
0: swept Orlando. On the way to the NBA Finals, yep.
2: Speaking of uh, the NBA Finals, they played Gary Payne in the Supersonics, obviously. hmm And in that documentary, it, the Bulls were up 3-0 on the Supersonics. And the Supersonics won the next two games, and the Bulls uh, pretty much finished it in Game 6.
0: hmm
2: Now, in that documentary, uh, interviewing Gary Payne, and Gary Payne in that documentary said that pretty much he, wasn't, he didn't... George Carl didn't tell told him that he shouldn't be he didn't want him to guard uh, Michael Jordan he wanted him to score Mm -hmm. and because of that in his mind he because of that they lost they lost three games in a row so in game starting from game four to Gary Payton started guarding Michael Jordan now I I just want to point point this out that if Gary Payton started guarding Michael Jordan that series could have ended differently it could have gone to game seven I still think the Bulls would have beat them, but man, I just can't like get over that fact that George Call would have that kind of a game plan and just completely disregard Gary Payne as a great defensive player in that series. Like I, I, just, I just don't get it.
0: I see what you're saying. But I could kind of understand call uh, George Carl. You know, he didn't want to tire, you know, guarding Michael Jordan is a lot to ask for him. Then Gary Payne has to lead the offense as well.
1: Jordan's much bigger than Gary Payne, too. Like, yeah. oh,
0: yeah. And yeah. then
1: you're, I mean, Gary Payne was like, I I wanted to tire him out, but, you know, you're likely, if they try to do that the whole series, it would have been the other
0: yeah. way around. Yeah, yeah it could have been, yeah. I just,
2: I just thought it was funny when, uh, the show Jordan, uh, what Gary Payton said about guarding him, like just making him tire him out, tire him out. Just George just started laughing at him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think one of the reason too was, you know, that last the game six where they won the championship, it was also Father's Day, and that was always on his mind, his dad not being with him, and I think it, it kind of negatively affected him more than Gary Payton did. At least that's that's what I got from watching the documentary. It was just. A really emotional ending where you saw Michael Jordan winning the the championship. You know, after coming back from retirement and just laying down on the floor and just bawling his eye out because he he did it, he won it, and his dad wasn't with him. And it just it just hit him all at once. And I thought that was oh man, that was a really emotional way to end episode eight. Is there anything else you want you guys have to say about this last dance?
1: Yeah, I guess just to preface the next few, the next last episodes, uh, the very last part of episode eight ends with what I thought was the hardest matchup for the Bulls. You know, after they started winning their championships, mm-hmm. uh, it, it the episode ends with uh, Reggie Miller talking about how he saw uh, not only an opportunity to win a championship, but he saw it as an opportunity to retire Michael Jordan if they beat him. <laughs> and it kind of sets things up to their. I, I like that. I remember watching those series as a kid and it was so close, man. Like uh-huh. I never saw like uh the Bulls like having such a hard time. And you know, props to Reggie Miller. Like, I don't think he gets as much prop as you know as people think. Like nowadays he's just an he's an analyst. Which he's one of my favorite analysts on on TV too. I listen to <laughs> while watching basketball, live basketball. But uh, wow. man, like he was a killer, man. Like I I, yeah. I really enjoyed watching Reggie Miller play as a, when I was younger, and he deserves a lot of respect as far as being able to push Jordan to the limit. Him and the Pacers, like that was a really good team.
0: Yeah, they had a lot of rivalries with the Miami Heat too. I remember Reggie Miller hating Reggie Miller because he always did well against the Heat as. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, we, we got that to look forward to in the next episode. Uh, it was great, great, uh, great series, man.
2: That, mm. but that shot that Reggie Miller made, I, I don't want to get too far into it, was incredible, though. That's like one of the most, like, best end game shots I've ever seen. So,
1: yeah, yeah, we'll get forward, more man. into that in the next episode, but uh, yeah, it was a great shot.
0: I guess one thing I want to bring up that I thought was important from this. This episode, uh, how Michael Jordan lost to the Orlando Magic when he first came back was because he wasn't in basketball shape. He trained his body for baseball, but not for basketball. So there was a huge adjustment. And it was showing sh- like last minute shots by Michael Jordan just using his signature fadeaway, but it was all airball. And Michael Jordan was talking about how he was so tired and like he just wasn't ready to play basketball yet. And I think that applies to this current NBA season where players coming back after. A long hiatus. Like, how are players going to perform when they finally get to play basketball again? That is what I'm most interested in seeing. Um,
1: It's almost the full off season,
2: right? Three months. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Hey, if what if you had a culture where prided itself on being the best conditioned team in the league, then you'd be fine.
1: I I I gotta point this out since we're on the subject. But have you guys seen? james harden's feed uh his like uh, social media
0: no i haven't
1: no I haven't. so there's uh he's been working out pretty hard man he's apparently lost 20 okay. pounds and so there's uh running Damn. Lead, like uh skinny hardness coming for the championship <laughs> and, <laughs> he uh,
2: lost 20 pounds that's a he lot would,
1: he looks skinny man I, I i would be surprised if it's not even more but uh you know like that,
2: 20 pounds I, I that's
1: I a lot surprised. It's really relative because, um, like, uh, Kendrick Perkins was talking about this on the jump where, you know, uh, he played with James Harden while he was in OKC, and there was always an issue with James Harden being in tip-top shape, right, Mm -hmm. getting his body in in the best shape possible. And so Perkins was, you know, saying that now that James Harden's finally healthy, and one of his main problems in the long postseason is being that he runs out of gas, right? And mm-hmm. now that he had time off, he's in shape, he's skinny, his body's going to be able to, you know, go through more. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, it's, I, I, you know, you can't really put, you can't really see how the Rockets can't play well, right? I mean, at least I, I'm in favor of that thought because the Rockets for the past few year, years have always been contenders. And I know that Chris Paul is not there. We have Westbrook. I think Westbrook brings a lot of other intangibles that Chris Paul didn't. Uh, so I see that as, like, a really important – I'm, I'll be very curious to see the, the Houston Rockets play, you know. Uh, I'm uh, very curious to see how James Harden is going to play, given that he's, you know, apparently it's James Harden 2.0 now.
2: Dude, he lost – if he lost 20 pounds, because he's listed at 220, 6'5", 220. If he lost 20 pounds, he'd be 200 pounds. He's the same size as Russell Westbrook then. Russell Westbrook is 6'3", 200 pounds. Dude, that's really skinny, though, if he lost 20 pounds.
1: He looks skinny, man. You should look
2: it up. I'll give it to him. He pretty much – it sounds like he's taking it very seriously this season. Maybe he's thinking it's either this season or not.
0: I would think so, yeah. (laughs) They they
2: pretty much went all in.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is Mike D'Antoni last year,
2: too. This is it.
1: It's such a great opportunity. Yeah. There's no Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Um, you know, he's healthy, he's at time yeah. right before well not right before, but it's gonna be right before the playoffs started, right? Like like I mentioned before, like the main knock on him was that he would run out of gas during the playoffs, right? It's a mm-hmm. deep playoff rest. He has he has rest, his body's in better shape. And we'll see what happens.
2: I kinda agree with you, Steven. Like if you if you look at it like all the teams on the West, there's no team with like three like superstar type players, so it's pretty even and, and like superstar level for like superstars across the board. If James Harden were to like get in shape, this season will probably be like, the best one to get in shape and try to just get it and just went go all the way. Oh, so I kind of like that team now. <laughs> oh, now you like it. <laughs> well, well, if I knew James Harden was going to take it serious,
1: I think your argument went beyond just James Harden <laughs> being not in shape.
2: But. Oh yeah, that yeah, that well, I know that, but still, man, if your superstar is uh, is the one uh, trying to trying to set the tone for uh, going all in, I like it.
0: I too am looking forward to seeing the Houston Rockets play. I love how they went all in on the small ball lineup and just unleashed Russell Westbrook. I mean, that was really fun basketball to watch, and I'm oh, looking yeah. forward to watching more of it.
2: I mean, I'm really curious how he's going to operate with, with 20 pounds uh, less. Do you think he's still going to – he's able to take a beating if he drives into you – know, drive it in? What beating? There is no beating. He's always getting – he's always getting the free
1: throw line because they just touched him. They like, they blow <laughs> air on him, and he's getting fouled. <laughs> it's like, I, I think they're all very well protected these days.
0: But like his game is more of the step-back three, just a lot of threes. <laughs> He'll be fine. All right. Something to look forward to then. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Tune in next week when we gotta go over the last two episodes of The Last Dance and any more news about the NBA.